This is a Big MX Podcast, brought to you by nobody. Motocross news from around the globe, but mostly between Emerson and Brandon. We're not experts over here, we've got microphones. Check out more content on BigMXRadio.com. Welcome to the very first podcast from Big MX. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. Our first guest is Chris Mellon, owner-operator of 204 Skate Shop, longtime racer, childhood phenom, and longtime supporter of Manitoba Motocross. 204 Skate Shop can be located in Selkirk at 195 Main Street, and you can reach him at 204-785-9173. I hope you enjoy his podcast, as I wanted him to be able to tell his story, and I uh, think it's pretty entertaining. Welcome to the very first Big MX podcast, brought to you by absolutely nobody, because we've got zero sponsors for this so far, I guess... uh, this podcast is uh, the beginning of a fruitful relationship with one of my potential sponsors right now. I got Chris Mellon uh, sitting across from me in uh, the studio, which is actually his his living room. Uh, he's loaned that out to us for today. And um, Chris, how's it going? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. It's a, it's an honor to be on the first Big Matt. The very podcast. first, yeah, absolutely. We're embarking on an adventure together, my friend. And I'm glad you're here to experience it with me. Sounds amazing. I'm down. <laughs> Perfect. Tell me, uh, tell me what's going on with 204 Skate Shop and how you tiptoed your way back into the motocross scene, ended up getting yourself a bike and uh, bridging the gap between a 15-year hiatus being back at the track, which you uh, returned to uh, this past fall at Prairie Hill Motocross Facility. Uh, well, 204, it's been, I think this is my 15th year in business, so uh, it's been doing good. Just finishing off the snow season, just did a snow jam. Uh, Scotiabank Snow Jam at the Forks, which is a $5,000 snowboard competition, the biggest cash one out there. So got that over with. Now look forward to moto time. But uh, yeah, moto's not really something that leaves you. I mean, uh, yeah, once it's in you, it's there. So getting another bike and getting back into it was probably just a matter of time. But uh, yeah, the 15-year break doesn't really seem like it was 15 years. But uh yeah. Well, it's an addiction. Absolutely. You know, uh, like I got to imagine you're doing some motos here at the house. You're uh, getting yourself all jazzed up. How did it finally feel to get some, some actual motos under your belt? Oh, it was good. Like once I started riding again and yeah, like I said, I just live out in the bush here. So it's great. I got the room to build a track. I got, uh, my arms to come out and build some jumps. And I mean, honestly, the first time I rode, uh, it was pitiful. It was, or slash hilarious. And I mean, I hopped on a 125 that a buddy was just leaving here. I'm like, I remember this thing. Uh, I know how to do this. And I went from like just berm shots, flat ground, like this is awesome. And then I got Mikey to build me some jumps. And there's about a 30-foot step up that has been done on four-wheel drive ATVs that it probably took me about 50 times to do it. Like my balls were just gone. So, uh no, it feels good now to get back in that. Like it took at least a year of riding like my track safe territory everything's comfortable to even get my balls to drop anywhere near where they should be and uh but yeah pilot mound was well yeah i was just kind of 
I had no intentions. It wasn't a big planned out thing. I guess they asked me to come there and help you announce, I think. And I was like, no, fuck that. I'm going to go race. And yeah, I got that covered. Yeah. I was like, yeah, Brad's got it covered. I'll just go ride my dirt bike. And, uh, but yeah, so it turned out fun and, uh, it was a test. Like I wanted to see what my nerves were going to be in the real situation, like riding at my track, riding at wherever that's fine. But like, you know, get behind the gate again and see if I'm going to shit my pants or if life's going to be just fine. And life was just fine. That's absolutely awesome. You know, they often, uh, the old cliche, it's like riding a bike and, uh, all too often it's not that way. Um, what what fueled your your wanting to reconnect with the the moto industry and wanting to to ride like what what uh, what fueled that is it just your your past experience and the, the successes you had as a as a youth or is it just like that uh, that everlasting hunger that most motocross racers feel that you never really can get enough well it was like uh, obviously at one point like um yeah once I broke myself in half like riding wasn't an option like yeah, I hopped from a wheelchair onto a TTR-125 and, you know, got Great someone to jam it into second gear and I putted around, but that's not really riding a dirt bike when, you know, you're used to riding dirt so bikes. So fun on wheels, yeah. right. And, uh, but then, so I thought it would be safer. I actually got into street bike riding and, like, street stunting because wheelies are fun and... Uh, safer, right. 100%. Well, it was not. And then, <laughs> obviously, like, thank fuck I didn't crash at high speeds, but... Because, I mean, once you get better at that, you try to do everything as slow as possible. And But, I mean, some slow-speed wheelies turn into dropping your bike on your foot, and I broke my foot, I broke my leg. And then I was like, well, if this is a safer option for motocross to get my, like, bike fixed, I'm just going to go buy a dirt bike and break my bones in a way that I love doing, you know? Hey, if you're going to break bones, you might as well do it right. Well, yeah, and one definite downfall is I broke my leg on my street bike, and I got a sick MPI check. And actually, that helped fuel my start of motocross because that's some catch. Absolutely. And I was like, if you're going to crash and get paid for it, why weren't we doing this all along? For sure. Um, speaking of the, the injuries, um, you've had a couple of different injuries, of which we'll get a little bit more into later on. But uh, do those still hinder you on the bike? I understand that you're a few inches shorter than you used to be, <laughs> but uh, uh, does it hinder you on the bike at all? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, uh, There's no ways around it once you know, you've been as beat up as I am. But, uh, and it's, it's a weird combination. And actually I figured that out in California just recently, like seat bouncing for me is half paranoia, half muscle memory from back in the day. You know what I mean? It's like, I know what to do, but like my body doesn't work like it used to. And my left foot doesn't upshift like yours does. Like, cause I landed that foot first. It's jammed up. It's toast mm-hmm. so like learning how to shift was like at first the hinges thing but i mean that just looks terrible like you know the beginners how that yeah mm-hmm. that's how i had to shift at the start like just using my right. boot but then so kind of working that up but then my right quad muscles weaker than my left one so a seat bounce around a right jump is just awkward but right. I mean, so it's it's just a mix of a lot everything. of the things that came new came uh, simple to you or same natural to you at the age of uh, fifteen or sixteen are uh, a little bit foreign now. Well, yeah, and, and natural to, to everything. Like I just kind of figured out that I have to think about everything. Like up shifting up the face of a jump is a crapshoot because, like I said, like shifting with that foot just isn't what it used to be, and so you got to count on that, you know, and so there's the fine line between like 
do you trust your body and is it going to work how you want it to? And after 10, 15 laps, that muscle, it's tired. It's not working how it was if you did that for the first five laps, you know, and Absolutely. it's, it's kind of rolling the dice more, but, uh, I also have zero problems with, uh, doubling a triple and, uh, <laughs> saving myself. Absolutely. Hey, uh, <laughs> with, uh, with age comes some uh, responsibility and those pieces, those feelings start to creep into your head that maybe, uh, maybe I don't need to triple this. Uh, but it's so maybe much fun, it doubles though. just fine. Yeah. Doubles are fun, but I mean, triples are cool. And, uh, Oh, absolutely. I ran into the exact same problem. My friend, uh, our trip to California ended up, uh, taking a tumble and on a jump that I possibly shouldn't have jumped third lap of the day, but, uh, lessons learned. Um, let's take a trip down memory lane. Let's, let's go back to, um, where it all started and, and where did it start? Obviously you have a brother that races. Um, the two yeah. of you got probably got started around the same time. Uh, how did your, your dad, obviously I think we mentioned your dad <clears throat> yeah. introduced you to you. How, how did your dad introduce motocross to you guys and, uh, how did that all get started? Well, it started, we, uh, I was born in Calgary. Um, my brother was born here. My, they moved out there. My dad owned an electrical company. He kind of did a bunch of work for like the Olympics back in the day and all that fun stuff, built some build big buildings. 88, so, good year. That, no, way before that. It was, oh. they had to start building them before like oh, that day. I, I, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, it started off. He always rode with his brother, like more of the trail bikes back in the day that didn't have the suspension and fun stuff like we get to have. The but, uh, he'd go jogging in the back lane and my brother was on a little mini moto 50, like the little, single speed Honda, kind of like the Z50 yeah, or the PWs, right? right? And, uh, so they'd always go ripping down there. I was like one. So yeah, I'd be sleeping or crying. And then okay. when we moved here, or even before that, I think we moved to Tabor, Alberta for a bit and had a little track that we just ride the little fifties around. But, uh, um, Tabor, that's not far from the rollerball. No, it was awesome there. I like that place. And but then we moved here, had some land, built some little one-foot jumps. You know, you line up on the 50, 500 feet down the driveway, pin it. You know, you're topped out in two feet, but you still line up 500 feet farther sure. and jump it for two feet and keep going. But then racing, uh, Rich started racing. We had some friends around here that raced dirt bikes, uh, Kurt Krolik, Todd Moore, and um, they kind of got us fired up into it because, you know, we had dirt bikes, so let's go racing. Yeah, and it's a big family. Yeah, Rich. So Rich was, I think, 14 or 13 or something. 92, I don't know. And uh, so he started racing the Novice B class, did the first couple of rounds. He was doing good. And, uh, you know, it was a family event. So we'd all cruise there in the motorhome the day before. And I had my uh, super slick 84 CR80 and uh, in the trailer. And back then, if you didn't race, you were allowed to ride the track before. And, like, honestly, like, I was doing zero damage to these tracks. Like, I was, like, packing them down. Like, two mile an hour topped out. Each, each knobby making its depression uh, very defined. Oh, yeah. Like, the back tire did not leave the ground. And uh, front tire, for sure. And, like, I thought it was going huge. But, um, so I'd ride around some of the tracks the day before. And we went up to Melita, the old Melita track that was just big, huge hills and super fun. So I'm ripping around. And I put in, like, frick 100 laps the day before until it was pitch black. Poplar Grove and, Raceway. Loved it. No, Surrey Valley Raceway. Oh, Surrey Valley. Yeah, yeah. that's your shit straight, my man. time. Yeah. And no, that place is awesome. And so then the morning comes around and I'm like, Dad, I want to race. You know, I'm like, screw this. And because the whole plan was I was going to wait another year. You know, Rich is going to race this year and I'd, you know, get out of next year. But I was like, screw that. We're here. Let's do it. And uh, oh, yeah, it was great. Like, 
I was lined up on the gate, bike started, goggles on, probably three races before mine. You know what I mean? Like, I, and I'm not exaggerating Absolutely. one bit. Like, goggles were on, bike was running, in gear, clutch in for 40 minutes. <laughs> it's like, good for a clutch to be I'm ready to go, yeah. you know. <clears throat> and it's funny, I actually won the first moto there. Probably had a little bit to do with the 100 laps I put in the day before. And the fact that there was two guys, and I'm not even sure, like the other guy was just as terrible as I was. And, uh, class the field. Yeah, but I was definitely hooked. And, uh, yeah, I think I went one, two for second overall of two guys. And, uh, after that, yeah, it was just mayhem. Awesome. Uh, how many years were you on minis? Like, I guess you would have started at what age? I started when I was 11. But, like, back then, I was the youngest by, like, three years. Like, there wasn't 50s, 60s, any of that fun stuff. And kids, because of that, weren't getting on 80s until they were, like, 12 years old even. Right. And, um, like, yeah, I think everyone in my class was 15 or 16, and I was just a little guy. And uh, But I raced from 92 to 95, I think, I was on minis. Okay, so three years on minis, you enjoyed some success. Were there more more than two riders showing up to most races? Well, yeah, like, no, that was just the first one, but that was yeah. awesome. But, like, the first year, really with that attitude, we didn't care. It was go out, ride, and I think it was a great idea. Like, go out there, get some gate drops, get the nerves gone, and, uh, you know, ride the tracks. And then, so the next year came around, looked underneath the tree. There's an envelope with a picture of a brand new CR80 in it that uh, was great, but then that involved the first debt to the parents that, you know, working out a payment plan. But it was awesome. So I had a brand new bike going into that season, and I hit that fabulous time in every boy's life where I could finally touch the fucking ground. So that made life a lot easier. All that matters is going fast on dirt bikes and trying to go fast in the bedroom. No, well, I don't think girls, (laughs) girls still were weird looking back then. Perfect. Yeah. And, uh, but no, so did some good races then and got a lot faster, but I think just cruising around the track, not worried about speed or beating anybody really helped me work on the basics of riding and like getting my riding style down. And like, I'd go home, watch our races, which were like the most boring fucking things in earth. And then we'd watch all the pro supercrosses and I'd be like, damn, like, Bradshaw's a pimp. Like, I want to look like that guy. And so you just work on your style, work on your style. Races, and, uh, in 1992. Yeah, and then he'd, and he'd bail too, and it'd be f- fun to watch. And, there you go. Yeah, but uh, no, and so you watch those guys. And, like, I hit the driveway jump out in front of my parents' place, like, three tanks of gas in a night. It's like a 30-foot little table, but I'd work on style, work on basics, and I think that really helped. But, like, that first year in 93 in the new bike was fun. I got finished, like, fourth or whatever. But then the next year was good. I think I actually won my first race. But my brother was in the class then, and he 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 got. I was on a brand new bike. He was way faster than me. He was winning the class on a nineteen eighty five slash eighty nine slash ninety three, like just a mix of parts. Frankenbike. Yeah, and here I am, like rolling around in seventh or eighth place, and he's winning on this Frankenstein bike. Awesome. But uh, yeah, so then he won, I think, in ninety three or ninety four. But then in 95, uh, finally got fast and, uh, or faster. And me and Marty Roberts battled every race that year and it was super fun. Marty get, Roberts, that's a name that I've heard many a times with oh, people he's saying a badass. He fast. Actually, yeah, we, we drank, uh, some cocktails in Vegas this year oh, really? and it was a great time reminiscing. But no, he was definitely, uh, the guy that I raced the most with. Um, uh, cause, well, he'd, he was all, we were the same speed. I think he was even a little faster. Like he would beat me, but 
if I worked hard, I always got better starts. And, you know, so it was one of those things. Like A huge key to going fast for all aspiring racers out there. You want to go fast, start up front. Practice starts, burn out clutches, and get them down, yeah. Um, but I was also about 175 pounds on an 80, where he was the more rational, like 115, 120. So a uh, bit of a disadvantage, but uh, we had Roy Borton do our motor that year, and it made a huge difference. So get my fat ass off the gate. And, uh, but no, it was great. So Marty kind of kept me good through 95. Um, I got second in Canada that year, which was a good thing. And, um, but yeah, that poor bike. We were bending subframes and foot pegs every weekend. Possibly sometimes uh, without even crashing. Oh, no, no crashing. No, like yeah. every time I'd land off a big jump, I'd bend my subframe. Awesome. Yeah. No, my dad was really good at fixing those. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, going in through the mid-90s, a lot of those frames and the foot pegs, uh, not able to hold up to the rigors of a full race season. Um, but our winters are, uh, are are a good break for the motorcycles as well as the body and mind. Um, what were winters like for you growing up? Uh, were you uh, full-blown into some other sports, or were you uh, um, taking some trips down, down south to do some riding? No, I... To be honest, I never got to go down south and riding, to go riding, which would have been amazing, and obviously that's a goal, and that's why I'm glad I did it this year. But uh, uh, no, wintertime was make money to pay for summer parts and polish up bikes. We'd do the odd, uh, like, Lethbridge Arena Cross or, like, swimming in January, but fuck, those don't even count. Like, it's always something happens, it's a shitty race, and the tracks always suck, like, whatever. I just sound like a Madonna there, but no, no arena cross tracks were ever amazing. Like, let's be honest. Oh, absolutely. Doing the uh, Selkirk and Morden rounds, although they were lots of fun. The uh, yeah. thirty-second lap time with uh, jumps. That I think you had thirty run. is a bit of an exaggeration. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going pretty slow on yeah, my okay, so. uh, 01 KX85, but um, regardless, yeah. But no, winter time was pretty much make money, polish up bikes, and uh, I took up snowboarding for a couple years there before I broke myself in half and. Hitting jumps is like hitting jumps. I mean, I couldn't carve for about a year, but I could jumps clear the tabletops. Yeah, right. so that was fun. Uh, um, now we take throw on the ice tires and go for a bag. But uh, no, back in the day, it was just lots of Super Mario Kart and uh, watching motor races. Yeah, cross training. Oh, with the Super Mario me Kart. and Rich would pound just hundreds of races in the basement. It was actually probably closer to tens of thousands. Perfect. Awesome. Uh, moving on to uh, big bikes, I know you might have uh, divulged into that a tiny bit there, but uh, assuming you skip the beginner class, of course, in, the, yeah. in Canada, we have beginner, junior, intermediate, and pro. Uh, you go straight to the junior class. Do you dominate right away? Well, yeah, I think I think you had to. And I mean, I, I, I was a big kid growing up, so I think when I was 14, I yeah, I think so. I did my first, no, 15, I guess. No, 14, yeah, but it was a 95. And uh, did my first big bike race. Rich picked up. We did, we were, had hookups at Honda and Westside Honda, whatever had us going on. So he would get his new bike in August. So he had his old bike sitting there. So what what do you think I'm bugging him and my dad to do, right? Yeah, like I'm, that sucker. Yeah, I'm went in the eighty class. So what's the next obvious step? And yeah, I remember Altona. And like I was shit scared. Like the first big bike race, it's just different. Like going across race. Right? Yeah, and. uh I think I almost looped up, looped out off the start, first moto or something, boner, and uh, crashed, whatever. I think I got like third or fourth, but then the next moto, less nerves, I guess. Yeah, and I think I won that. Like, I mean, and don't quote me on any of this. That was many, many beers ago. But, uh, 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure I won the second one and won, like, finished off kind of that year. Fortunately, not too many people have the program from that day, so... Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, my dad does. You could make up all I guarantee you. I gu- we, if, you know what? I guarantee your dad does. If we went into the Petersfield Race Rex vault, uh, which I'll take you for a tour one day, and uh, you'll definitely love the stuff you see in there. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think I did good in those races, and then the next year, it was a decision to kind of ditch... Either keep the old 125 and the old 80, I think, or get a new 125 and just, you know... But I was 14, so I think at 15, yeah, no, I just went to 125s because, well, once you ride one, like, you know, and as always, the young guy, like, we were riding with my brother, Todd Moore, Brad Stutsky, like, they're all 18 years old. You get used to the geometry of the bike, and all of a sudden, the 80, even though you're not that much bigger, it starts to feel small. Well, yeah, and riding with all 125s, like, they're all hitting jumps that were just, like, you know, either couldn't do or had to try real hard, and that just gets lame after a while, and... So yeah, moved up to the big bikes and skipped the beginner class first year in novice. Um, did good. I think I won pretty much every moto that year. Um, there's a lot of sand races, which was fun. It always started off the year at Austin, the sand track. And Austin won or Austin? Austin won. Austin yeah. won. And uh, like even April, May, that track is good to go because it's such deep sand. Yeah. So it as was long always as you push the snow off. You're good to go. Yeah, exactly. And actually, frozen, it's better. You get more traction, but. We'd always start the year off there, even sometimes like two races in a row. So get a couple of wins at Austin, start the season off with a points lead, and, uh, you know, it just makes your life a little bit easier. That's the sound of a ice-cold kokanee being cracked open. As we move forward with Chris Mellon, we have him uh, in his lovely living room. Uh, as you were saying, yeah, you, you've, you're on the big bikes now. It's, two, it's 1995. Uh, that was 95, 96, I 95, think. 95, you're yeah. on, you're on the, you're on the big bike, uh, as 125, two yeah. strokes, of course. Yeah, they're um, huge. and, uh, and you just, you, you come out and dominate. I know a lot of times you tend to move up with your age group, so you're, you're racing against a lot of the same guys. Well, but see, I think that's where it really worked in my favor because my brother's uh, a couple years older than me and Todd's older than him and they were always intermediate racers b racers when i was on 80s so when i'm on 80s i'm riding against them when i'm a novice like junior rider i'm riding against them and if you don't notice like everyone tends to ride the same pace like you know the three of us travel a race 100 miles away and you're still freaking one two three you know who you ride like you know you go the same pace as the people exactly absolutely so moving up a class being a class lower than them i was still kind of going their pace and it made it easier on race day uh yeah. On me. Awesome. Um, who were you, who were you the guys that you had your main competition growing up? I know you've, you've mentioned a couple of different names, but, uh, was the, the, the competitors pretty fierce? Yeah, like, it was like, guys? there was, uh, like Marty, we battled a lot, but he moved up. He was a little bit older than me. So he moved up kind of ahead of me. Um, uh, Brad Stutsky is a good buddy of mine. Like we're like, we're pretty much family and he was the, fucking Cal Norton to Ricky Bobby. Like, every race that I'd win, he'd get second. Second And he has more second places than probably anyone ever should. More than K-Dub. More than he'd admit to. Oh, no, like, it's... No, but no wins. That was the worst part. Like, I think he's won something in 80s, but junior a couple years, intermediate a couple years. No, but I don't know what. But And there's even times, like... I think I was broken bone something and oh no he fucking mowed me down at Austin fourth gear smoked me broke my shoulder blade more road rash than you could ever imagine 
And, you know, we just kind of laugh because we're friends. And I'm like, hey, well, like, here's his chance because he's good in the sand. Last lap goes in the bush, like 45 second lead on everybody comes out in like 14th place. It just wasn't not meant to happen. Like Perfect. it was like Davalos but Stutsky. But it was just it couldn't happen. <laughs> Which we can't say anymore. The guy won a moto. I know, but his yeah. butthole puckered so tight when he almost went over the bars in the last lap. Did you no see doubt. that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I was like, I was screaming at the TV and like his. I was thinking about that today because I'm a loser. And if he would have went over the bars, his career would have been over. You just walk out. You don't even try and get a, on the no. bike again. You you get just right lay out. down. Yeah. Get scooped up with the dirt sure. and get used in next year's fucking track. Absolutely. Really, it's not gonna happen. It just is not gonna happen. Yeah. Sorry, no. Martin. Back to Ecuador with you. But I wonder how many people seen that because like that was. Like he was shit scared, oh, and it happened twice in a row. Did you see that? Like he, I didn't see the twice. I he knuckled the, the first one, watched the one right before. Yeah. Like twice in a row, he almost fucking bailed. Yeah. But yeah, no. But Stutsky equaled Davalos. But it's hilarious. At one of the awards banquets, they came up with the award that year for the Hard Luck Award, and Brad was sitting right across the table from me. And like we were good friends, but I'm like, I mean, I'm sure it sucked that you know. I'd win, he'd get second. And, like, you know, I never thought about him 15, whatever. Yeah. But uh, Stutsky fucking... The Brad Stutsky Award. He was sitting there just staring at his beer, you know, his best friend, and they call his name for the award. And I'm like, Brad, that's you. Go up there. And he's like, what, what? And he was so flustered slash hammered, he walks up, grabs the mic, like, back to everybody, thanks, and just gave the mic back and walked away. And, like... But you think about that, like, what, that's the best thing to say at, like, the hard luck award. Like, really, you're gonna go at the hard luck award and be like, awesome, I'm pumped, this is yeah. great. Like, no, that sucks. Go me. Yeah. Your year blew it, and that's why you got the award. But no, Brad was good. Um, Tim Giesbrecht was good. He's from Steinbach. Uh, he got, uh, he beat me a couple times when I had out bad races. It's tough to say. But, uh, uh, Nick Heese, um, Jeremy Hepner was always really good. He was one of those guys, like, you could catch him, no problem. Pass him, watch him say no problem. Him, yeah. No, no, you'd pass him, but then he'd be on your ass for three laps, like two inches behind you. Always and a guy who could wake it up at any time. As soon as you pass him, he's in your line doing what you're doing. And uh, But yeah, that made it fun. Uh, Tom Balkin. But no, there's always a bunch of guys. And then always in, the, in Saskatchewan, there's those guys too, because their season went longer than ours, so I'd always go there and... Uh, race actually it's funny i think in 96 See, that's something that a lot of manitoban guys don't do anymore they Not should a lot of guys mix it up with other provinces well and they're good track well i mean they were back in the day i mean they haven't been there in a million years but like go race different tracks different yeah. people and because you don't know who the guy beside you is like you know shiny new bike he might suck then might be like johnny clapped out looking guy who hauls and Absolutely. go race against him and yeah. put you go out of your find element out what your yeah. speed is by not riding around who you're normally with now I know you moved up to intermediate extremely quickly. You didn't spend too well, much like time for in the, junior. For the era, especially. Right. Like now kids are doing that more, but back then it was just yeah. that. You were a bit yeah. of an exception to every rule. Was that a tough step for you? Like, did you did you have a hard time adjusting? Well, or I guess since you were already riding with a lot of intermediates, you were kind of already running that pace. Well, exactly. And another thing is my brother at the time, like, he was super young. He won, in 92, his first year racing, he won the beginner class. But, I mean, shit, I think he was 14 on a 125, which, you know, was young. And uh, so he was young. I was young. But I was always following him, you know. So, I mean, I never thought of myself as the young guy. I always thought it was the same age as everyone you hang out with, right? Right. And, uh, no, but when I moved up to the B class, 
I think I had my head on straight a bit. Like I was starting to get it and, uh, um, you know, I'm not 12 anymore. You're 16. You start to think, you know, everything. And, uh, no, dirt biking was fun. I got my license. That's another thing. Like there's, when I was a B rider, I still couldn't drive myself to the track half the time. You know, like there's guys that are 23 years old, you know, and, but then there's me, I got to get a ride. Luckily enough with all the people around here that raced and we live in the country so we could go ride. Absolutely. But, uh, um, no, it wasn't, it, it was early, but another thing, I was a bigger dude. Like, um, I played rugby in the summer sometimes, like, you know, I was pretty solid. Pretty filled out. That's the, what the, I remember. From the bike life. wasn't too big for me. That's for sure. You know, so then that's the obvious step. Right. Yeah. But you stayed mostly on, on 125s. You didn't divulge too much into the 250 no. ranks. Uh, any reason for that? Just like wanted to stay on the one bike or? Well, cash is obviously one thing like having two bikes is a thing like rich did two bikes for a bit but i mean and another thing is i don't know to get good at riding one bike i don't know like bouncing i remember when i was doing 80s and 125s even for a little bit and i mean obviously bigger differences between those two kind of but uh you know just everything feels different and i just rather race two classes on my 125 you know and put in more track time you know use one track one class as a learner you know as track time for the next one but no i had more fun riding the 125 against 250s and say the age classes or whatever but um not cash is one thing that's another thing i was really young so i didn't have a job and when i did i'd you know not a full-time high-paying gig yeah so i'd keep my 125 going and Honda helped us out with parts credits and stuff, so that was always good. But um, uh, no, 125s just always seem fun. And even like right now, I bought a 252 stroke, didn't like it. I don't know, just preference, I guess. Um, 450s are just fucking fast. Like, you know, it takes a very good rider to need all that power. Oh. And the I have top my... guys in the sport don't need all that power. Those guys are detuning those things. Well, exactly. And just making it more precise. Well, exactly. Usable power. And that's where right now a 250F just is that magic ticket for me where usable, you can still keep up with the guys on the big bikes if you ride hard enough. And, uh, yeah. And I guess take that mentality back to 125s. And I always liked hauling, like having a rail berms seat bound shit to get over it. It's like, a funner way to ride. You know, ride. rather than kind of point and dump Your the clutch and go. Yeah. Funner is a word. Fair enough. And, uh, but yeah, like, no, 125 just seemed like more fun. Yeah. And, uh, we got a shit ton of parts for him. Like, it's tough not to look at your parts pile and be like, yeah, I'm just going to totally go to another bike. Yeah. And to be totally. honest, like, absolute. I rode a Yamaha once, a bone stock one on our track that we had here. And my lap times were way faster than on my Honda. But was I going to do that? No. Yeah. You know what I mean? Getting back to your, uh, your, um, your support through Honda, uh, you had some support through Westside, yep. uh, like long, long, long relationship between you, both your, you and your brother and Westside. Um, how did you go about, um, basically cultivating that relationship and how did you go about trying to pick up other sponsors along the way and who helped you up? Well, really it's, it's all a snowball and, uh, we can at Westside, uh, He's just great. Like, he's family. Like, we go there at Christmas or he'll come here. But that's now. But even back then, um, we always had a tight relationship. But um, remember, like, back in the day, there was not many people riding Hondas because uh, their contingency program kind of crapped out and everyone went to Suzuki's because they're way cheaper. And so Honda scene, you know, 
not that they really cared, but they're like, here's a couple of guys that want to ride Hondas that are, you know, usually at the top of their class and let's try to make it work. And so we'd either get like a free bike or parts credits and, you know, but it would honestly help us so much because when you go to the biker, they'd give us the bike and we'd get a chance at the end of the year to sell it and maybe make a couple hundred bucks or just give it back. But, you know, usually you line up someone to buy it. So, I mean, just not having that initial cost in February or whatever. Helps out big time. Then you can throw that into a pipe and a bunch of tires and clutches and get your shit running right. Absolutely. You can afford to get those starts dialed in because you have the budget for it. Exactly. And uh, so that really helped. And that Roy Borton helped us out. It was great. Roy's awesome. And and it was always good with him, too, because he's there. He's local. And it'll be like, Roy... This is what my suspension's doing. I want it to do something better. I'd be like, here you go. And it always worked. Um, but the Honda thing, like still to this day, like Larry Kiziak's the rep. After I snapped myself in half in 03, I used him to get a street bike. You know, a new model was coming out. I'm like, Larry, like, I want one of these. And not that that meant anything, but I got one, you know. And uh, it really helped because, shit, I've never owned anything but a Honda. You know, I've rode them my whole life. Something you said for brand loyalty. Yeah, and I mean, you gotta take that into consideration. And but no, Ken's awesome. He's our local guy, and uh, he helped us out with everything. That's awesome. Like in terms of, like, were you looking to anybody for gear sponsorships at oh, all? Oh yeah, we like, got we got hooked up with Cinesalo back in the day. But see, that's one thing is we're really good at whoring ourselves out. Like every September, once the final point standings are printed, make up fifty packages. The, and see, we were like rolling motorhome and trailer status back in the day when that was not the standard. Zero, like kid in a fifty with a. Forty foot motorhome and you know yeah. whatever, but I mean they weren't the biggest motorhomes or old and they're whatever, but we were big pimping back in the day. Everyone and, else was showing up in a pickup and a toolbox. But that's the thing. But back then we had the whole family, like my brother, sister, mom, dad. We'd all be there the night before, and uh, so we'd send pictures of that rig, saying, "Look, we're going to all these races. Your logo is going to be on here, traveling all around the country." And I think that meant as much as anything. And when I know now about everything, like, we got hooked up with Bob Rathcam from Cinesalo, and I remember one of the coolest things in 93, and remember, this is McGrath in 93. McGrath is running that gear, absolutely. I have a piece of paper next door, my dad does, stapled to the wall, congratulations, you are now teammates with Jeremy McGrath going into the 93 season. Do you know what that meant to a 13-year-old me? Like, I swear to God, I was flying around the house for, probably still in a little bit, you know? Yeah, no, I can see that you got a little extra smile going on right now. But think of it, back in the day, Cinesalo before that was not, let's call it an A-brand gear. But like, we dropped one, like a a sponsorship to Fox, Thor, Axo is what I was drooling over. Let's be honest, like, 93 was Stanton Bradshaw Axo days like that's Absolute. what you want yeah and, no even even Ricky rode Axo for a short period of time and but that's the thing and it's like Cinecell and like those guys run Axo boots I'm like yeah cool like 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 we had a choice right yeah but no so we were big pimping with that got a gear sponsor and then with that like then we got like Bell helmets a uh, couple around like oils and stuff like that but really once you get one they'll start looking at you like when you're like hey I'm this guy who doesn't have sponsors, but once it's like, yeah, Honda Canada and Cinesalo, other people start looking at you differently. Yeah. And uh, they help out, like every little one, like we had from a local guy giving Build us momentum. oil for the trucks to ch- or the motorhome to change, you know what I mean? Like every right. little thing helps. And uh, But the Cinesalo sponsor, that was kind of the start of 204, because get, we'd get our gear to discount, and hey, I'm 12 years old, 
phoning the owner, Bob Rathcam, because, like, I think, you know, he knows who I am and I matter. And I'm, like, placing orders, but I'd give it, sell it to other people at the track for, you know, a discount off of whatever. Yeah, and that you was, make a couple of bucks off it, why not? And then that just gets more people into... Cynicology. And then all of a sudden, there's a bunch of guys running around with that. And first, right at the early season, we talked to everybody, place orders for them all. And that would pay for our gear. Because, like, we weren't getting it all for free. And right. we still had to pay. Um, but that would pay for maybe our gear and a couple bucks for whatever. There you go. But, I mean, once that snowball started turning, I mean, literally, that was the start of the shop. Well, since we don't have any real sponsors, I thought it to be beneficial to grab a few that have uh, been played throughout Supercross races all around the world over the last few years and uh, going all the way back to the mid-70s in the next little while. So enjoy these uh, ads until we find something a little bit more suitable and relevant. Calling collect. You've got options. You can dial zero like this guy. Hi, Mommy. I rode on the plane all by myself. Did I mention you'll be charged as much as you possibly can for this call? Or you can dial 1-800-COLLECT. Here's how it works. Dial 1-800-COLLECT. Yeah, I just saved you some cash. You're welcome. Love you. Called Mom Collect, huh? You know, you could have saved up to 44% by dialing 1-800-COLLECT. Can you find it in your heart to forgive me? Motorcycle racing. Motorcycle racing has always been about men and machine becoming one. From the mud, sweat and physical punishment of motocross to the 180 miles per hour asphalt ballet that is MotoGP. Since 1963, Alpine Stars has been protecting the world's best racers. I'm Roger DeCosta and racing is my life. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran. Oats and bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of Amigos. For extreme kids like us. Ex-racing man. But more than Fox, what Big Jeff likes is a fat bowl. Amigos with bran. Fat bowl. Amigos with bran. Oats for power. Brands for speed. Who that tastes, what a delicious treat. Cereal bees, Emigos. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey, kids, start out every morning with a fat bowl. Moving on to uh, a point in the show when, like, a lot of the people who I guess have been around Moro for a long period of time, they knew this section of the of our podcast was coming. Um, let's talk about the day of your your accident where you quote unquote broke yourself in half. Uh, paint me a, paint me a little bit of scene and uh, where were you? Who are you with? And uh, it's like I'll, you just kind of yeah. tell the story as you probably have a hundred times. Oh, once or twice, yeah. No, it was uh, April eleventh, ninety nine. So it's like you know, a couple weeks before the season. Everyone knows that time you're going out to Seddon's Corner. Right on. I was I was eleven. Yeah, that's true. Right on. Um. But yeah, I go to Seddon, sand track, only place you can ride. Um, ripping around, hitting this jump, um, kind of shaped it that day. Uh, so I just left the shovel beside it. It was sand, you know, hit it three, four times, go back, Fix put it the lip back on it and hit it again. And, uh, it was one of those, it was like a third pinned 
for power, but think again, this is a 125. So it was like, you know, yeah. maybe 80 feet or something. It wasn't huge, but it was damn oh. cool. It was over yeah. a rock and this ridge and stuff. But so I'm hitting that, hitting that, and then hit it fourth, kind of float it, blow out the jump. And then I'm like, okay, well, let's go over to this other part and to like little hill climb shit with like one of my buddies was there. He's a B guy and yeah. he wasn't hitting that jump. So let's go. Yeah. But that morning I went riding with Todd Moore. It was funny. I just got my firearms acquisition license. And I was like, shit, I got all my new gear in today. Let's go ride. Cause it was orange and it was pimping and let's do this. And so we go to Seddon's and, uh, but then anyways, go bomb around with that guy, go hill climbing. And then kind of the, the trail back to our trucks and shit was the run in for that jump. And so I'm like, well, hey, Great opportunity to hit why it. wouldn't I? And oh, before that, I was hitting it, hitting it. Then I'd like lean my bike over, shovel, 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 pick it up again, go at it. And then, that's where parks the truck. So this one guy who's just like there with his buddy not riding. He's like, well, look, show me what to do. I'll reshape this bad boy. And he was doing fine, shapes it up. So I could just like constantly keep hitting it. And it was awesome. So hit about 30, 40 times, whatever. And then, so I went for that hill climb bag, came back. You're and, feeling pretty comfortable at this point with this. Jump. Oh no, that jump is like, it's, and it was fun, man. Cause you kind of had to like hit it and like huck to the right, or you're not going to land anywhere you want to land. Right. And, um, and it was like, Style points. yeah. And it was like between a tree and a rock and it's, you know, it was cool. And so then I'm bombing up and I see it and the face is dark. So I'm like, sweet. That guy just fixed it up. But little did I know, apparently this is what I heard. Who fucking knows? Right. But, uh, um, some people change it cause it's just a pit, you know, anyone's allowed to go ride there and it's no big deal. No hard feelings. But like these other guys seen the shovel, seen this. And it was like, picture like a 10 foot table like someone just dropped a bucket of sand like here's a little mini table so i shaped the bottom shaped the top there's a perfect lip yeah but they made it so they were using it as like a tabletop and they're on like i seen them there fuck when i was broken in half line on the ground they're still hitting it and then like an 85 cr 250 like three guys borrowing it you know nothing against that that's awesome but uh so i guess they changed the lip is apparently whatever and so when i hit it if my landing is like 80 feet and like a little off to the right, I went about a hundred feet, about 30 feet to the left. Like as soon as I hit it, it just like sent me floating way to the left in a way that I didn't even fucking think was going to happen. Right. Mm. So, and nose down, like, cause, okay. Like they put a knuckle on the top. Yeah. So, you know, so there's build, just like, a panic rev that can be matched by no other. Yeah. And no, I put my foot on the crossbar and ditched my bike and just started rolling up the windows. And, uh, yeah, I landed kind of on the road, like, you know, way to the left out of even the pit. And right. on the road, right where on the, that service road that's beside yeah, that area. where the gravel trucks full of gravel are used, that's rock freaking yeah, hard. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They basically make that stuff like <laughs> So apparently, um, Todd seen me and he said I landed and I bounced about four feet off the ground. I mean, that's still kind of creepy. Like humans shouldn't bounce, you know? No. And, but I landed like left foot straight and it broke my femur like straight up the middle of it spiral fracture no not spiral like straight through the middle like a freaking laser beam wow you got lucky the doc said he's never seen it broken like they break like they snap in half but i split it and um and broken a bunch of million pieces the the other doc said when he put a rod through it it was like lining up napkin rings and uh, yeah that was just a great mental picture yeah thanks guys. and so then i guess when i broke my femur that way i hit my when my ass hit the ground i broke my back through my tailbone and it was uh, a burst fracture i burst fractured five vertebrae um 
T10, T11, T12, L1, and L2. So uh, if any of you doctors Pull out your, people, uh, your anatomy textbook. Everybody and, and breaks T12. Like T12 is what? Like Reed broke. That's right when your lower back where it curves. So that's where the pressure is, right? So, but when I landed, I blew out that and a bunch more. Like, yeah, I used to be six feet tall on my 16-year-old license. And now I'm like, fuck, 5'8", maybe. That's awesome. And uh, But so I burst fractured my back out. And yeah, I'm just puddled laying on the ground. Um, when I landed, like it's all dusty. I'm like, okay, this fucking hurts. Can't feel my legs. It feels like my legs are on fire. I look to the left and the toe cap of my boot was like too close to focus. You know what I mean? Like it's like oh, yeah. an inch from my goggles. Like it's actually like wrapped around the mouthpiece of my helmet, but I can't feel it. Right. So I grab my foot and kind of like throw my leg back to where it should be so I don't creep people out. Like a bunch of people are running up at this point because yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was a probably pretty fantastic crash to see. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, so I'm lying on the ground. I think I actually sat up and then that's when like it just fucking gave out and boom, fell back down. Like legs are on fire, paralyzed, can't move. And yeah, I squeezed my legs. It felt like pillows, you know? Like, I could feel them with my hand, but not with my legs. And it was the weirdest shit. And, uh, but then, so I told Todd, I'm like, Todd, go get my cell phone, which was a Motorola. Like, remember those black ones? Oh, yeah, if any of you sure. guys that are in yeah, their yeah. 30s yeah, with yeah. like the little bottom flippy thing that was yeah. like fucking gangster. Oh, so I had sure. that and I'm laying on the ground. It barely works. I'm like, uh, 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 like trying to tell my parents that I snapped myself in half and I'm like fucking hurting. So then whatever, Todd talks to them. Um, uh, they rolled me up. Ambulance gets there a long time later. It felt like a month. And um, just like out of a shitty movie, they loaded me up on the stretcher, all the everything. My mouth's full of sand. Won't give me water. I just want to spit it out, the whole thing. They fire me half into the ambulance. And then the guy checked his fucking watch, and I rolled out. And they have my arms strapped in. Like, my arms, like, well, actually, now that I think about it, like, it probably wouldn't have been good for my spine to grab myself from falling out of the fucking ambulance yeah. but i straight up rolled out of the ambulance and fell on the ground with a mangled back and man like that hurt yeah. more than oh for sure i don't know like adrenaline blo- oh, yeah, whatever whatever but crazy, like that i yeah i still remember the look in the guy's fucking face i'll put it that way you know yeah and so they load me up um uh driving out of the road there which you never think of this but it could not be rougher you know, that road is just a whoop section for whatever. And with oh, a I broken back right. strapped to a fucking board. And so I'm telling these guys, like, just to stop so I can catch my breath. So they slow down, which makes it just, you know, so I'm actually getting well, air at this point. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm uh, like, no, 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 pin it. That's how to hit a whoop section. Like, let's skim these fuckers in this ambulance, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I get to the hospital. I'm all mangled. So they sent me to Health Science Center. And uh, yeah, I was there for April to like October, November, like in the hospital. And then uh, outpatient for a bunch of months, a year maybe. But, uh, yeah, it was a long tour. Um, well, tell me a little bit about the days the days and months that, that came after the incident. Uh, where were you mentally? I imagine you had to be pretty strong to have dealt with something like that. Well, yeah, there was a lot of morphine. So I thought I was in a ski lodge for about three weeks. So, I mean, anything anyone is telling me. like There was one point that I actually thought I was still going to work with my dad because I guess I'd go to sleep. And morphine's a fucked up thing. I don't recommend it to anyone. Like, I did not know if I was at work or in the hospital. And at work seemed like the more rational fucking thing in my mind than being broken in half in the hospital. So I was kind of putting all my eggs in that basket. And uh, 
So yeah, turns out I was way off and I was actually broken in half and just tripping balls. But um, once I kind of got a grip on things and told them, like, get me off this morphine because I don't know what the hell's going on. Um, okay, like, right when I broke my back, when I was still lying in the fucking dust at Seddon's, I could move my big toe on my left foot, which was weird because I couldn't feel or move anything between. Yeah. But I'm telling me, I'm like, and yeah, so I'm like, Take my fucking boot oh, you, you off. You do I'm an like, inventory. Yeah, and I'm like, fall, yo, if it's getting from way up here. Seats. Yeah. Yeah. And I could barely move my big toe. And uh so then I told the doctor, the ambulance guy to take my boot off. He goes in with a scalpel to try to cut off a motocross boot. You know, I'm like, you're going to be here for a bit. I'm like, Todd, you want to help him out? You know, I got my buddy to do it. But yeah, so I could move my toe. So honestly, that little thing, and I still remember the moment that I could actually move it because I'm like... It was a weird feeling because I couldn't move anything in between. And then it felt like an island of myself way mm-hmm. over here yeah. was moving and I could feel it, you know, and like it was burning. Right. Mm. And uh, so then that minute I was like, shit, I'm going to be good. You know what I mean? Like if it's getting if all the way down there, even if there's nothing in between, shit's going to be all right. We're going to make some connections here. Yeah. And, uh, and it turns out like there's not many people that that happens to. Like normally it kind of works its way down from the side of the injury, how you heal, but I healed totally backwards, which doesn't surprise me the way I do things, you know, but, um, motocross is backwards to begin with. Yeah, exactly. You crashed in the right way. Yeah. So there was rough times, like three months laying in bed without getting out of bed for three months. Like sure. That sounds awesome. To lazy people, but I mean, it sucked. You're dealing with bed sores. You're dealing. Luckily, with... I didn't get bed sores, and like this is all stuff that I learned. Like you learn a lot when you're in that situation, mm-hmm. and yeah, bed sores. For those who don't know, it's if you sit in one spot, and especially if you can't feel, your skin will just deteriorate, and uh, that can turn into a bigger deal and longer hospital stay than the original injury. And yeah, thank God I didn't get have to deal with like really any negative stuff. Right, and. Um, but yeah, so it was months and months in there, get in the water, start doing physio, start moving your legs around. And then, uh, um, yeah, but the worst thing was my quad muscles would not work. Like even after a year, I could stand up and fake it and like wiggle around, wobble around and stuff, even like quote unquote walk, you know? Yeah. But my Extreme quad muscle muscles, atrophy. but zero, no, not atrophy. Atrophy is one thing, but dealing with nerve pain, like atrophy right now, you know, it would come back. But I mean, there's nerve damage that's like yeah. done, right? So when your quads are at zero, like you could have sat me in a chair, paid me a billion dollars to kick you in the nuts and I couldn't have done it, you know? And, uh, that, right now or? No, now you're, you're, uh, yeah, okay. you'd owe me some uh, money. But, enough. uh, back then you'd be just fine. And that was depressing slash like really just hard to deal with, you know, when all your other muscle groups are working, everything's whatever, but you're, the main fucking muscles that you need to stand up, walk, jump, ride a dirt bike, do whatever, don't work. Yeah. And another good thing I was blessed is all of my plumbing worked just fine, which uh, we don't need to get into that. But uh, apparently in that situation, it's not supposed Status to. Status report appreciated. God oh, damn it, man. No, but that was one thing that I definitely didn't have to go through that I'm super thumbs up. You know, yeah, that's, hey, yeah. not having to call for mom is uh, is a plus. No, nah, just like others. Yeah, just lots of stuff. And apparently that leads to problems too. But uh, so we're... You know, I'm broken, and but part of the healing backwards thing, because normally your quad muscles are the first thing to come back, you know, and that's where lots of guys in wheelchairs, if they're not a complete injury, which is like totally severed, mm-hmm. they might be able to stand up for a bit. You know, you might have never seen them do it, but they might be able to. Yeah. But it's a combination of everything, right? But with zero quad muscles, 
let's just say my There's dirt your... bike career of even riding around in circles and standing up is doomed. Yeah. Right. right. And, uh, it's a big muscle group. That's your main muscle that's group. That's everything. And, and if you don't have that stability, you don't have much. No, no. And if you watch that Alden Baker Fox Sports thing they did on moto, like right. these guys stand up how many hundreds of times a lap. I couldn't stand up once. There you go. In the best situation, the best scenario. So, I mean, that was tough to deal with. But going in the water, working at it, and, like, I'm kind of a stubborn prick, as, you know, most people and my girlfriend will attest to but you know if i have something in my mind i'm probably going to do it and uh but as soon as and and to what you're getting at there like how was my mindset i only lost it a couple of times but one time i fucking lost my shit like i was just kind of sick of it you know i've been putting in work in the gym eight hours a day like doing everything that you physically can frustration sits in but with not only zero gain but zero potential possible Nothing might ever happen, you know? So you're kind of reaching at that forever and ever and ever, which is might not ever happen, you know? And so that kind of clicked in just one night, balled my eyes out, no bullshit the next morning, little flicker, 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 you know? And I would work that shit out, um, the, like a leg press machine for any of you people that have ever been to a gym, you know, mm-hmm. a well-oiled machine, um, take the pin out and just to like push the bar, right? Mm-hmm. That takes nothing, like literally like less than your big toe. Yeah. I couldn't do that, mm-hmm. right? To push that once, um, I would be fucking sweating, screaming, swearing. I would push it once. And I mean, it sounds lame, but I'd literally like pass out in that spot, drenched That's in progress. sweat. No, to do it once. Yeah. And they'd leave me. They let me sit there. They're like, you know, because if they tried to bug me, I'd just probably yell at them. But uh, I'd do that twice a day and I would go to bed. And, uh, but eventually after about a month, I could push the leg bar, not with weights, but with a pin through it. And that was like the hugest stepping stone in life. But see, once you get to that point, you got something you can work with. And so then just start working, working, working. And, uh, yeah, it was a hell of a ride. Let's just put it that way. Starting to build some momentum. That's, that's incredible. Um, so let's talk a little bit about life after moto. Let's say there's no Uh, such thing. Well, there there really isn't any, but uh, when you're not able to compete, uh, you're having to um, basically find other ways to stay connected as well as other ways to fill a giant void that did take up Scratch a... Scratch that itch. Yeah, your, your yeah. entire life. And um, tell us a little bit about your life after moto, going to races that your brother Rich was still, yeah. still active in, and your pursuit towards developing a... Um, like developing Snowboard Canada, which eventually became 204K job. Yeah. Well, see, obviously, uh, when I snapped myself in half, that was tough on my family, especially, and my brother, who's trying to go out and race still. And uh, um, at the time, like in my mind, I'm like, I'm fine. What are you worried about? But I mean, I'm sure it it's going to hit you, right? And we're all going as a family. But at that point, Rich is still going to the races in a pickup truck. But my mom's staying at the, like, she's sleeping at the hospital with me, you know, and my dad's going to work and doing his shit and then coming there. And Rich would even drive in every night after work from Morden to come see me at the hospital. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I was all whacked out and uh, didn't really get the big picture when you're on morphine and, you know, all the shit's going on on the outside. And I don't even know what they would tell me. So after all of that, Rich was going and obviously he... uh wasn't riding up to his potential, you know, like I watched some videos and he wasn't placing where he should. And like, you know, obviously for obvious reasons and uh like the whole family's not there. It's just he a different total atmosphere. Himself. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, all the pieces weren't there for her, for it to be the same, you know? 
and uh, and, and I'm sure he's getting bugged at the races, like, you know, what's Chris doing? How's he doing? What happened? Like, even at the first couple of races, you know, because I did it just before the season started. And, um, but then I guess, yeah, I opened the store about a year after I snapped myself in half. Well, I mean, it was the day that I broke myself in half, the business was legit, but I mean, I had to get going and get myself in check before that. But then I started bringing stuff to the races at this, at first I'd go to the races in a wheelchair with like mountain bike tires Mm -hmm. so I could actually get around and it was pretty badass, like the wheelchair up to bore it to me. And, or I just ride around on a quad, you know, cause I couldn't walk and whatever. But then as Snowboard Canada, which turned into 204, started to develop, I'd start bringing my gear out to the races and set up a tent and sell stuff like more just cause that's where your blood is. That's where your friends are. I miss the atmosphere. I miss the camaraderie and well, fuck, I missed racing more than anything, but I didn't have that option, you know? So it really wasn't hard to give up racing at that point because like, okay, I'm a realistic human being here. Like, it was not an option at that time. Mm-hmm. Like, for about, fuck, six, seven years of my life, if I fell down, I couldn't get up. You know what I mean? And, like, that's a tough thing to do. It never happened, thank God. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It always figured out. But then I remember one day when I finally could, that's a stepping stone into, like, just confidence in doing stuff. Like, if I went racing, yeah. I'd fall. I literally couldn't stand up. What the fuck? You know yeah, what I mean? Like, for sure. there's things you can do and things that you can't, you know? Right. So, no, sorry, go ahead. No, well, uh, I was just going to mention, like, the, that first day that you rolled literally up to the track. Tell me what's going through your head at that point. I know, for me, going up to the track after a lot of shoulder dislocations, which were something that barely kept me away from racing, you feel very separated from from what's happening on the track uh what are you feeling at that point what's what's going through your head uh watching uh your your fellow what would have been combatants now taking the track and uh, you're on the sidelines well well you know it was it was great because you know obviously everyone anyone who races whatever local scene it's a family right and there's people there that you want to see and everyone, you know, wishes the best and they want to see you too. And the racing part didn't really bug me because like I said, I was realistic. Like obviously someone in the back of your head just probably like, okay, I'd probably be about there, you know, but that doesn't matter. And, uh, um, no, it was great. And you, you miss it like down to stupid shit, like the smell of a start or like the sound and the everything. Like if that's in your blood, that's in your blood. And another thing is going through what I did and like racing and progressing and having done lots of this stuff, I can be a guy that's just like gimped out sitting there, but I could probably give you a pointer or two. So even like I used to do some riding clinics with uh, my brother and everyone. And even after I did some riding clinics when I was paralyzed on a quad, because like there's still some knowledge you can give to people. And there's the finer points that you grab that other people don't, you know what I mean? You still have a lot to offer. Yeah. And so, you know, I'd go there and just kind of give my buddies pointers, this and that and pit and like try to feel important, you know, but it was good just to see everyone and do everything. But then I started, like I said, selling stuff at the races, but that was just an excuse to get out there and do that. But then for a couple of years, I'd do like a freestyle jump show at halftime and give away prizes, like, from the store and announce it and yell around. Remember having those at Beaujolais? Yeah. Yeah. No, and it was a good time. And it was just something for the kids to do. I knew it kept the crowd entertained and, uh, you know, get some kids some free product for doing cool tricks on a dirt bike. I think we're going to try and bring that back for 2014. Oh, yeah, I'm actually. down. Like, if I'm at the races, I'll be doing one if anyone's down to do it. 
but yeah, I want to do it per ca- per riding class. Oh, absolutely. I think that's a better idea. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, I'd, and I'd see different levels of tricks. I think it'd be awesome. Because, like, you know, no beginner guy is going to go in a freaking best trick competition against some pro guys. And, absolutely. But if it's, they're judged against each other. So, yeah, that's something new I want to do this year. For sure. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Moving into uh, away from that uh, kind of like what I would say maybe a... Uh, a darker time where you kind of rose from the ashes a little bit and reestablished yourself as a businessman. Who do you watch locally now? Like, who have you watched for the last couple of, like, couple of years or you've been to the track of senior around? Who you, who you got your eye on? And, um, yeah, who, who do you watch? Well, really? Um, I've been out of it for so long that it's probably a better chance that I know that kid's, like, mom or dad than I do him. And so obviously the guys that are still around like Penner and like Frimmers and, you know, some of the guys who literally I was teaching these kids on fifties and sixties and now they're some of the top pros, but that's about where my lifespan's at with that. I mean, you know, I might, there'll be some vet guys around and this and that, but, uh, to be honest, I haven't paid enough attention. And I mean, point standings don't count. You got to see people ride, you know, but, uh, um, no, I just kind of hang out like my friends that race, like whenever I'm at a race, I'll go talk to people that I know rather than spend more time watching the motos where, you know, in this coming year, I'll have more time to do all that fun stuff. But, uh, no, I'm actually looking to build a team this summer and for years to come through the shop. Cause I mean, my, my heart is in moto no matter what the fuck. And, uh, you know, just to help kids, promote kids, kind of being that I've done it all, started from scratch, and I kind of get the business marketing end of this industry now. Right. I think You've been a, on both sides, exactly. which helps. And I understand what riders want and expect, and I understand what business owners want and expect. And uh, there's just not enough people tying those things together. So, I mean, those dark days through that, like, I just had to crunch from about 03 to 09, yeah, I didn't care about moto. Like, I honestly didn't read a magazine, didn't watch a race. Like, if I caught a race on TV, I'd watch it. But that was trying to build the business. Like, you got to take care of number one and yeah. get that going. Moto and, is secondary, which for a lot don't come, uh, doesn't come second. Well, but. exactly. And Carmichael made it boring anyway. So I didn't, like, ever since then watched all those races. And I really didn't miss much. So, Absolutely. Uh, um but yeah, no, getting back into it, I just think there is room for growth. There's ways to do things that maybe people aren't doing. And as much as just kind of getting my fiend for moto taken care of, hopefully I can help, you know, and, uh, and yeah. And, but yeah, just even doing that one race last year, it was a nerve check, a gut check, but I did not care like i pulled right. over for guys if i've seen four guys behind me i'm like go ahead if i'm faster than you i'll pass you but whatever and remember though this is like i don't even know what class i'm gonna sign up for next year oh yeah i, I remember like, commenting on that on and, the PA. and i still don't know you know like i mean yeah b is fine but uh i mean i'm not even that fast and because like i said there's my, some fast guys in the b class no, but, but i don't care about winning i don't right. want to win anything yeah. it's just i don't want to be a hindrance to anybody else mm-hmm. you know and i'm and i don't want to get landed on but i mean if i went out and see and potentially had a good day and did good i'd feel terrible you know what i mean because that was 1995 for me right. you, you know it's a couple of years ago yeah exactly yeah. you know these kids or 20. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, they were born that year. Yeah. So let's be honest. Um, but no, that's a whole thing, but I don't think that matters in moto, like going out there and riding. And I mean, trust me, my girlfriend, I think she said, 
yeah, like when he first started dating, she understood that I, I like dirt bikes, but she didn't realize that I was fucking obsessed. Oh, you didn't explain to her yeah. the addiction. No, and like it's true. She goes to bed, I'll watch races from 94 to 09. We're both and big fans of Tony Blazer, I'm sure. Exactly, and, and that's the way it is, and that's with Moto, that's what follows. So, I mean, I don't think you can fully get rid of it, and, you know, getting another bike, I bought a CR250, and... It was terrible, the 2002, the most brutal bike ever. And, uh, but yeah, no, four strokes are where it's at. Absolutely. You know, like, I got to imagine, uh, even for myself, coming back to racing this year only after two years removed, lining up even for practice with a bunch of, let's call them kids, because mm-hmm. that's what they are. They're 15. They're the same age as I was when I first got on uh, the big bikes. Um What's going through your head as you, you line up for practice uh, at uh, at Pilot Mound there? Like, it's a beautiful track. I, I know that morning it was a little bit foggy. The the, the, the Basically, the table is set for you. Uh, how do you go about your day? And, um, well, it yeah. Was, it was uh, full of hilarity. Let's just put it that way. Like, um, first of all... on the microphone, right? Well, I couldn't hear you. I, wish oh, I, could. I could hear you when I was super close like that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but I'm sure you were great. Um, <laughs> but... You know, it was a lot of um, not psyching myself up, per se, but just, like, not letting me psych myself out. Like, right. don't shit your pants. You've done this a billion fucking times. What are you really worried about? Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I th- <laughs> yeah, 10 minutes of practice on a track I've never been to, rode, looked at, seen, didn't walk it the night well before. Prepared. No, I did not care. And that's the right attitude for me for that race. Right. And, uh, but then... I think I missed my practice. I went out with just anyone because, like, really, I don't care Mm -hmm. and did two laps. But in my mind, I told myself on the line, you're not going to do any jump you don't do in practice. You're not doing in the motos. Don't be that guy. You're not here to prove anything. Like, so, but also kind of in my mind, I'm like, fuck, you got to do these jumps if you're going to do them because so, uh, did the ones in the back section, did a couple of them, but there was a couple jumps there that I know I can do and I could have done, but I just did not care because yeah. I made that deal with myself and I didn't crash. I didn't get landed on. I didn't whatever. And I'm still walking and I made it out, but no right. pilot mound was great. And, but like we kind of said before, I had three days of pre- preparation. Like I was debating, right. announcing, and then I signed up for my first race in 15 years, Perfect. but on the line, the biggest thing was there was zero nerves. Yeah. You know, and in my mind, I caught myself going through the same lame cycles you did. Like, I would stare at the corner. I'm not one of those guys that bounced around. Like, you know, I'd blank out. Okay, I'm going to shift to third there. I'm probably going to break around that. You know what I mean? Just, like, figuring out your corner, visualize, whatever. Yeah. And, And of course, that turned into a decent start for you. Yeah, and I'm hole-shotting against a bunch of 450s on my little stock 250. And, uh, but again... That's a bit of like, I'm, I'm not a sea rider. Like I've whole shot enough races in higher classes than that. Right. That's relying back on the skills, you know, the, the muscle memory, like the shit you've learned over your whatever. Gate drops, but you become shit, your own self it, a little bit. It did feel great. Not gonna yeah. lie. You know what I mean? And, uh, even, you know, just that in the check marks when I was a puddle laying in a hospital bed, am I ever going to ride again? Right. Am I ever going to race again? Am yeah. I ever going to, or even there's a bunch in between those two, obviously, but then a whole shot and a leader race are in there somewhere. Even right. if it is a C class in Manitoba, that's a check mark that I checked off. And, there you go. Uh, yeah. And at that point, it is difficult to not go into full race mode and say, Hey, let's pin it. You had to reel yourself in a little bit and, uh, continue about your day as planned. Definitely. And the thing is, 
I still did. And coming up to the jumps that I knew I could do, and I like probably pissed off the people behind me because I'd come up to them the same speed, break, break, you know, on the far left hand side of the track, and fucking old fat guy scrub up it a little bit, and that's it. And uh, but I was fine with that because I told myself I wasn't gonna do that shit. I've never ridden this track, and and. Okay, and by the way, I blew staging every fucking race. Like, four motos didn't make staging once because they didn't do that 20 years ago, you know? Um, so it was hilarious. Every, yeah, I got the last pick on the gate every single time. And Sometimes yeah, I still that turns up, into whole shots. Yeah, I never want a whole shot out of it. But, you know, so you get what I'm getting at. Like, I'll probably be a little bit more prepared next year, but I think my attitude was just right for that You one. benefited from not taking it seriously. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. I awesome. didn't even have to turn my bike off. I literally just rolled in. The 30-second board went out, and there you go. Awesome. Yeah. No, and that, that's that's great. I was, I, I'm glad to see. I, it was a proud moment to be able to announce your first race back. I got to say, like, it was a thrill for me. And uh, you've uh, like successfully uh, like set you set small goals, achieved them at Pilot Mound, and uh, you moved into this winter with uh, your your sights set on uh, making a difference in Manitoba motocross going forward. That's excellent. Like I, from my standpoint as a uh, a member of the Manitoba Motocross Association uh, board of directors, as well as an active person for the last 12, 13 years. Uh, that excites me because we need to have more guys like you uh, in the sport. We need to have guys like you who know the heritage of Manitoba motocross, uh, instilling those values in our uh, today's youth um, throughout the classes. I hear that you, uh, you, the 204 crew, headed down to California just after the Christmas break for a little bit of shenanigans. And it was Carson Wee with you, Josh Penner. Uh, also, he knows how to get that bike upside down. Um that was an awesome trip for you, as I heard. Tell oh, yeah, me a little bit about that, and uh, do you think that's going to be an annual occurrence? I definitely hope so. Like, uh, yeah, Josh called me, and he's like, dude, let's go to California, and what do you think the obvious answer to that was? It's like, yes, when? And, I mean, Christmas at the shop is nuts. Like, from mid-October even till January, I don't get many days off. Like, that's where we make our bread and butter. Yeah. And so the goal was, you know, January 1st, Let's load up the truck and peace out down to California and see another thing. This is one of those check marks because like I said, growing up, I didn't have, well, I was 15, 16, 17. We didn't head down to the States once. Like after I broke myself in half, my brother and them, they headed down. And that's always one thing that I wanted to do. Go right. do some winter riding and hit up those tracks that you've seen a million times your whole life. And, uh, it was amazing. Like, uh, even just going there riding like Pala, Milestone, and Star West, all those tracks, like, they're groomed perfectly every day. Like, everyone always says it, but, like, the people down there don't understand how lucky they have it. Like, I've ridden a lot of tracks through my whole life. I've never hit jumps as nice as those. Like, just the faces are perfect. Like, rule of thumb, roll the track the first lap, figure out where you are. You can look at that face. You can see the landing. Nothing's blind. You're like, okay, this is second gear, this, burnt, and it's done. And... The tracks are just so nice, and yeah, definitely a life check mark to do it. And it definitely, like, those tracks make you feel fast, because everything's just figured out. Absolutely. Instant confidence on your, on your third lap at uh, Comp Edge, and you decide to do the 100-and-something foot quad, and maybe you land directly on your tailbone and ruin the rest of your trip. But even, regardless, it's, it's, it's a fun place to ride. Well, that stuff happens, man. Absolutely. Yeah, and maybe at Pala, you go for a 90-foot whatever around a corner and clip your tire and blow your rim out. 
It happens. It happens. These these are the things that happen. But it was still worth it, and I got to do it again. And uh, but just the places that we got to ride, like um, through the awesome in or uh, social media of Instagram, Josh hooks up with Les Parsons, Tom Parsons, all these guys that see his whips. You can obviously tell the guy knows how to ride. Yeah. And through that, we've never met the guys. We get invited to like Wyvern Motorsport Park, which is the most amazing place on earth, like the old Red Bull compound. Um. You don't get to ride there just by fucking driving down there. No. And we There's got no gate to. Fee. There's no. It's actually a gate with a code, and yeah. that's about it. You know, we pull in. There's Kerry Hart, Lance Corey, Les Parsons, Your Tom usual Parsons. Suspects yeah. You know, the basic guys that are at Grunthal on a Wednesday. You yeah, know what I mean? for sure. Same Those thing. Guys, same absolutely. team. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And with that, we got into, like, and then, you know, so the next day we go to Palo and we're riding with, like, Ron Renner and Wanky. His and, compound's like, right there. Well, it's his compound. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh. Foam pit, the, the big hit. All right the there. goods. And then, so we roll up into there. There's two vehicles parked. Ours with our shitty fucking H&H 5x10 trailer parked next to Renner's truck and Parsons rig. And, you know, go do some laps on the vet track. Go watch them hit ramps. But no, it was an amazing tr- trip and you know got to have a beer with jeff matasevich so onto that life check marks we're talking about like because we went down for anaheim one obviously and hit all these tracks but no josh's whips are ridiculous like he was getting credit from billy leninovich was teaching a guy he walks over like hi what's your name you're cool i like your whips hey and, and that guy knows how to get a, a bike all yeah. kinds of sizes and, but i mean it's true and i'm not just blowing the guy because i like him but yeah his level of riding is it stands for itself and uh, Les Parsons was sitting there. Because remember, Josh is riding. I'm listening. You yeah. know, I got running shoes on. Mm-hmm. Parsons looks at me. Josh lines up. He's like, what are the ramps at? 75 feet. Hucks a solid upside down whip. Parsons looks at me. He's like, yeah, lots of people ask to ride here. Most of them pace everything out for an hour and a half. He's like, you guys can come back when you want. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, he did just didn't speed check it, just looked at it and hit it. But, I mean, that confidence is what you need to have. Right. No, well, it's, it's Josh, Josh Penner's confidence is uh, questioned by very few. Oh, no, 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 no. To... That's a thing, though. He, there's been times, but remember, I've known Josh for a long, yeah. long time. That's true. And uh, Josh is confident, but he's not overconfident. Like, right. he understands, he's very, he knows what he can do. And he, but trust me, there's times where I'm the one telling him, like, dude, what are you doing? You're fucking rad. And he's like, no, really? Really? You know what I mean? Like, he's definitely not an overconfident person, which is probably why he works so hard and gets to where he is. Right. Yeah. No, he, he's an extremely talented young man, and one of his greatest skills, really, is being able to size up a jump, like you were just saying, and, and be able to visualize himself doing something pretty special off of it. Yeah. Right out of the box. Um, so going forward with 204, as in terms of you had mentioned you're wanting to do a little bit of a team um, team effort going forward, maybe not exactly 2014, but even moving forward from that. Well, no, I'm, um, I'm down for 2014. Like, right? that's another thing. The reality, it doesn't matter. Everyone like, yeah, well, apply for next season. What's the difference? You know what I mean? There's always next weekend. Why don't you just start now? Yeah. But no, I'm definitely going to look for a couple guys in each class. And uh, results aren't very important to me. I mean, everyone knows this. Like, from skateboarding to snowboarding to moto, like, if you're on the team, you're probably on for life. And I mean, our hand logo was tattooed on, I think, like, 17 people now. Yeah, you know, like, at least. No, I'm, yeah. Like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and Lee's neck. Like, and it's in... Our team riders are on forever, and it's more about attitude and... And a culture and a family. Yeah. If you're a douchebag and you're winning every weekend, I want nothing to do with you, you know? Yeah. And uh, 
um, you know, it's more about attitude. I'd rather sponsor a guy who gets 18th and I want to have a beer with him after than some guy who's winning and it's like, cool, man, high five. Right on. Well, uh, if, if there any, are any of those uh, prospect um, athletes listening, how can they get in touch with you? Um, just come to my house like you. You know, just drive out here. Right out to uh, <laughs> uh, Kramer Road, one, uh, nine, yeah. 93 North on the, the number nine. Yeah, look for and, the pirate uh, flag in the dirt bike track. Pirate flag in the dirt bike track. That's how you can drop off a resume. Yeah. Or 204 spelt out at hotmail.com. Or hit us up on Instagram, Facebook. If you can't right. find us, Easy you don't to deserve find. to be if on you, the team. If you can't find 204 yeah. Skate Shop on Instagram, you don't. You don't get to be on the team. No, that's a, that's the truth. It's that Absolutely, easy. Absolutely, yeah. And if you're not following already, then uh, you don't know what it is. But no, and, and we're looking forward to like I'm not going to do all the races next year. I don't mm-hmm. even know which ones I'm going to do. Like I said, I don't know anything with class yeah. one ride, with whatever. But they we're going to be there. One week, like, yeah, but we're going to be there, and we'll probably set up a little booth, bring some gear there, like something a little different. Because that's the thing is the skate snow industry and the moto industry are intertwined, but they're not close enough. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Uh, I want to tie those together a little bit more and uh, have some fun riding dirt bikes. Excellent. And, uh, yeah, for those who are in the Interlake or uh, Petersfield's Selkirk area, they can find you right on the Strip. It's an amazing location. I've been there several times. It's uh, pretty hard to pretty hard to miss as it's uh, painted like a big Canadian flag right on the, on the Strip there behind a couple of pine trees. Yeah. Um, yeah, I imagine this. Uh, you're gonna have some more people coming out to your shop in in uh, in the the near future, and um, yeah, like what what else do you have planned for two zero four moving forward towards two thousand fourteen and beyond? Well, there's lots of little things, and I mean, uh, I want to kind of help the MMA and like get this going in a way, um, kind of help with promotions and marketing a little bit, like. Uh, uh, there's avenues that I can go down. There's people I know that might benefit. And, like, let's um, freshen it up a little bit. And, I mean, not saying that there's anything wrong with the way everything's going now, but I don't think anybody's doing it right. You know, right. like... There, you can't settle for what you're currently at with if you want to move forward. Well, no, and, and let's have some fun with it. And, uh, I mean, there's a couple little things that can be done to bring, like, more money in for pros. I mean, I know that's a topic we don't, you know, beating a dead horse. Yeah. But there's very little things you can do that will add up to that. And just be progressive. Like, who cares if it's a little step in the right direction as long as you're going the right way. And then by next year, maybe those steps get bigger. But uh, pretty much it's just I'm, like quenching my selfish obsession for motocross you know what i mean i'm not looking for any goals or more people to come to the shop or anything like all i want to do is ride a dirt bike with people who are down to ride dirt bikes and which is reasonably why you got into it in the first place exactly and uh, i've never been serious even when i was winning races i would more than willing pull over and roost someone then just happen to be winning yeah then to get another second on the lap time you know what i mean and that's what dirt bikes are all about like, if you can't appreciate a solid one-hander or a one-footer, then, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, you haven't been seeing me ride if you don't appreciate something like that. <laughs> well, exactly. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Chris. I no, know no I, I was you. hoping to have you on for about uh, 45 minutes. We went about an hour and 15, Holy which crap. I am absolutely uh, I'm thrilled about. I think we uh, we did an all right job. This is the very first podcast with uh, Big MX Radio. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your feelings with us tonight. And, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to working with you in the future. No, that's awesome. And I'm down. And I, I wish you the best in this. Uh, I think it can happen. And um, 
No, Moto is such a tight community that uh, it's all family. And like you're saying, like we go down to California, us Manitobans. I don't know if it's just because we talk too much and we talk to everybody, but it is a family. You talk to anyone, everyone's down. Everyone. Yeah. From Jeff Pentasevich to uh, Doug Dubach, you, you, you have no problem talking to any of them. No, exactly. And, uh, but yeah. no, let's keep tying the Moto community tighter and, uh, yeah, have some fun riding dirt bikes. Awesome. Thanks so much for ha- uh, having me over to your place tonight. No and uh, let's finish off the rest of these coconies. It's the sound of an ice cold coconie. Being cracked open. <laughs> yeah, being cracked open. Yeah. Right on. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast. Be sure to stay tuned for more episodes. Check out our archive for ones you may have missed. And for more content, BigMXRadio.com is your one-stop shop for Manitoba motocross media.
want to dedicate this win to Michael Lessie and his family.